If you've been with us for a little bit, Nick, is that, uh, can you hear me okay? Great. If you've been with us for a little bit, you know that we are in the series of the epistle lectionary readings, which is focused on the book of James. And it's the book that is called um, by Tim Mackey, A Beautiful Punch in the Gut for Those Who Want to Follow Christ. Because if you've been reading along and, or listening to the sermons, you know that James doesn't pull his punches. He's really straightforward. He tells it like it is. He doesn't do nuance. He's not subtle. It's like he really wants to grab our attention and to ensure or to, to really push us to be serious about our following of Christ, who was his half-brother, according to church tradition. And so this, is, this week is the last in our series of, of James, and we've covered really the three big themes that are the essence of his epistle. One theme, the first thing that we covered is he has a lot to say about the differences between rich and poor, and some of the worldly distinctions that get made in churches that should not be made. Favoritism towards the rich, and a pushing away or even a shunning of the poor. These, these things ought not to be. What we covered most rec- more recently was the fact that James is steeped in the wisdom genre of the Old Testament, uh, a genre that Jesus himself was capturing in his Sermon on the Mount. And so a lot of references to that sermon are within the letter of James. And so wisdom, of course, is that ability to, to connect our lives to the way God has ordained life to work. That is, it works best when it is done in, in accordance with his work, and it does best when it, we are relying upon him at all places. Wisdom allows us to discern between what is right and what is, or what is most profitable from the Lord's perspective and less profitable, uh, even though it might have more attraction to us. So walking in wisdom is what James was exhorting us to. And now today we come, do you mind if I take this off? I'm a little... Garbled. Okay, to myself. Um, now James comes to the place of a pretty large theme for him, which is it's really important what we say. It's important how we speak. And you heard, as Ben was reading it, um, he gives two examples in the text that we have. The first example deals with slander. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them, speaks against the law, and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Slander, what is slander? Slander is saying something about someone that is not true, is actually defamatory, is designed to hurt them, ruin their reputation, bring them low in some way, shape, or form. We can update this idea of of saying things that are slanderous. We can say, write things about slanderous, text things about people that are slanderous, uh, post things about others that are slanderous. We, We need to bring that into our modern context. But the principle is the same, that there there are people that make it a point to bring down others by saying falsehoods about them. And slander tends to have that idea of saying something that is not true. But we can also include those things that we say that may be true about somebody, but are damaging to their reputation. That would be in the realm of gossip, for example. 
To gossip sometimes is to say something that is accurate, but it's not helpful. It's not kind. It, it doesn't regard them with love. And as we've seen throughout James, it doesn't treat them the way we would want to be treated. And so slander is what James it, it says, you know, watch what you say. Don't be slanderous. Um, and it's wrong, not just because it hurts somebody, because, but James, James is taking our attention and he's focusing it on the offense to God. That's why it's bad. It, to, to slander somebody is to actually pick and choose which part of God's law you're going to obey. It's like, well, okay, I won't, um, I won't cheat. I won't um, commit murder. I won't do some things, you know, the heinous stuff, but I don't mind a little slander. I mean, that's just part of our world, isn't it? That's media, that's narratives. There's a lot of things in our present world that, that really qualify for that. And so it's easy to get caught up and to just kind of say it's no big deal. But James wants to grab our attention and say, no, when you're doing that, you're actually deciding which of God's laws you want to keep and which you don't. And he has this sort of sobering comment. There's only one lawgiver and judge. Implication, it's not me. It's the one who's able to save and to destroy trying to, to reorient our mind and our heart towards God. And so if we do that, we will not judge our neighbor, lest we would be judged. Slander uh, in the wisdom literature, in some places, particularly Apocrypha and Sirach, for example, it's, uh, the phrase is literally called the triple tongue. And they use that phrase because they want to signify that when you slander somebody, you're not only hurting your, the intended person, that, that's the objective, when the person wants to slander someone, but the slander themselves is hurt. They don't know it, but they're far away from God, as this text tells us. So the, the person who's being slandered is hurt. The one who's doing the slandering is also hurt. And the others that are hearing this, who are listening to this, who are maybe imbibing on it, saying, yeah, you go. You, uh, we don't like that guy either. They are also hurt. Nobody comes out as a winner in this. Everybody is damaged because of this. Slander is the triple tongue. And it's spoken of, you know, fiercely here by James, but also in other parts of the epistles. It is the sense of it is, it is characteristic of the life that we had before Christ. So there's no room for it. There's no room for boasting. That's the other thing that James brings up in his, in his letter. And he says, now listen to you. Uh, listen to you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say if it is the Lord's will we will live and do this or do that. As it is you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So here's another part of speech that doesn't align with God. Uh, boasting is essentially talking with some kind of uh, excessive pride or self-satisfaction about one's achievements. I'm going to do this. Or in the example he's giving, we're going to go you know, to this part of the world, we're going to engage in that kind of business, and we're going to make a profit. The problem that James has with that is that it's totally devoid of any dependence uh, on God, any acknowledgement that he is the sovereign one who holds our very life in his hand. This moment that we can all experience together is a gift of God. It is utterly dependent on his sovereignty. 
And to fail to acknowledge that in the plans that we make and, then, and to lose track of that and then suddenly to say, well, you know what? I, I'm just the clever old soul and I'm going to do this. And not to acknowledge God for a believer is in, a, in essence to lose track, is to, to become more distant from him. And this is what James doesn't want us to experience. He wants us to realize that when it, from God's perspective, our life is just a mist. It is literally here one, one moment and gone the next. So instead, we ought to acknowledge that we are utterly dependent on the Lord. And so we say, Lord, if it is your will, we will do these things. He's, James doesn't have a problem with plans or goals or good ambitions. He has a problem with the idea that we might try to do that all on our own, thinking we don't need the Lord in any way, and that results in a failure to acknowledge him. We boast when we, when we boast, we, we are in, a, in essence saying, Lord, I don't need you or I don't acknowledge you. So slander, just to sum, sum up, slander is saying something about someone that isn't true. But boasting is saying something about yourself that actually isn't true. We don't know if we'll be able to pull this off. And so in both cases, we need to rely upon the Lord. We need to let him move us from any kind of things that we would say about others that are false. Um, and there's plenty of opportunity. You know, the U.S., we, we have a, a, a really storied history of being pretty down on our politicians and our governing officials. Well, a, a critique is one thing, but slander is another. We can pass that on to anybody in leadership positions. And let's be honest, we've all been guilty of it at certain times. And boasting, uh, we don't like to think that we boast, but in the quiet of our lives, sometimes we can be pretty pleased with ourselves and forget that God is the one who enabled us to do that. So James is pointing this out in the text that we're given, but he has actually a lot more to say about speech. It's like, James, don't, what, what are you really trying to say? You know, just, just be honest with us. And if that's what you're asking, you know, then, then we're, we need to take our attention to chapter 3, uh, which we didn't get to read in the lectionary, which is James's use of the tongue. Here's what it says. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, when we, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it itself is set on fire by hell. James, what are you trying to tell us? All kinds of animals, he continues, birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Okay, now we're starting to know what you really think about the tongue. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. 
It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. I think that's an image we can understand. I mean, if you've been in California for more than a week, you can understand the image of a wildfire. I've lived in the state most of my life, and these last four years have been the most intense when it comes to wildfires. And any other native California, I think, could probably say the same thing. It's not only the intensity of it, it's the duration of them, it's the amount of acres that are burned, it's the impact of smoke that descends into this Bay Area. These, in terms of intensity and duration, I could say are unprecedented. And so that's a really helpful image to grab onto that when we use our tongue in ways that are more characteristic of the way we used to be before Christ, then we end up setting our lives on fire and the lives of other people. James may be using some exaggeration, but in some cases, not much. Maybe you can think of a time when you wished you could have taken something back that you said. In the heat of the moment, out it came, and then you're like, oh my goodness, I've made this situation so much worse than it actually was. Or maybe you've stood by, or you were a young, you were a child, and you saw that going on in family, or you saw that going on in some part of your neighborhood. It is hard to see those things. And it is, James uses that fire imagery because he wants us to understand that speech, what we say, matters because it has power. It has the power to wound or to heal. It has the power to create or destroy. It has the power to control. It's restless. It's, it can be like a deadly poison. A poison doesn't necessarily act all at once. Sometimes they're just over time, bit by bit. The steady drip of derogatory comments, of disparaging speech, has a cumulative effect that is like poison. But it can also inspire. I, when I thought of that, I thought of... Uh, remember reading a biography of D.L. Moody. Some of you know the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. D.L. Moody, if you know your American uh, revival history, was a storied evangelist in the late 19th century. Spoke in the U.S., uh, based in Chicago, went to the United Kingdom. And in the younger days of his ministry, he, he was, there are a few things that inspired him. One of the things that he points to was a conversation that he had with another evangelist named Henry Varley in England. And Varley doesn't remember it at all. But Moody remembers that Varley said to him, Moody, the world is yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. Like, that just started, he was getting on a ship in the next day or two to head back to the States. That just stuck in his head. And it inspired him and motivated him. I mean, his ministry got harder as well as it, as, as it became more rewarding. But it can tear down, of course. It can inspire, it can tear down. And we've been, if, if we had opportunity just to share a bit more of our lives today, we could talk about people that inspired us with things that they said. And we can also probably give some examples of times where we felt diminished or torn down by the tongue. So James is really concerned about what people say. Now, as I was reading this, and you might be wondering too, why is James talking a lot about the tongue? I mean, after all, it's the heart that's the source of all this stuff. You know, Jesus himself said, out of the mouth, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So if our heart is not in the right place, if it is still stuck in sin or selfish ambition or someplace where we're not loving, that's the issue. It's not what we say. But James would say, no, it is what we say. Because until we say it, that power that may be in our heart is yet to be unleashed. God does judge the thoughts and the affections of our heart. But what we say actually 
gives those power and gives those expression then starts to either be a force for good and, and benefit or a force for destruction like James is concerned about. Of course, physically, there's a distance between our heart and our mouths and from what we are feeling to how we are expressing it. You know, that's, that's not a far distance, but it can be. And there's times I'm like, oh, my heart is so full of something I'd really like to talk about. But I probably shouldn't because that's not going to be really edifying, not going to be really helpful, not what my spouse needs right now, not what my friends need to hear, not what my relatives wanted me to call them up and talk about. It can be a number of different things, not my colleagues. That we may feel things in our heart for a lot of good, even good reasons, but it's not the time to say that. It's not the time to give that voice. So there is a journey from our heart to our mouth that God wants to influence along that way. Some of us just need to pray for grace. The church that Vicki and I served in, uh, they had a tradition. They used to call it shut mouth grace. Vinny knows this. It's like, just give me shut mouth grace. It's, it's such a great prayer because it really kind of nails what the issue is. I just need to not talk right now. I'm just in that place. So, Lord, help me not say anything. Help me frame it. Some of you guys know that Abraham Lincoln, when he was frustrated, and he had numerous occasions to be frustrated with generals and uh, members of his cabinet and people, he would, if he really got torqued, he would write a letter in response. But not every letter he wrote would he send. Sometimes he just needed to express his heart. But he didn't take that extra step of, of communicating that with the person that was much uh, giving him a whole lot of anxiety or grief. That's a good lesson for us. So how do we do that? Just some practical things along the way, uh, helping in the journey. You know, James says, and he acknowledges, I think we need to embrace it, anybody who can control the tongue is a perfect man. So that would only be Jesus. That means the rest of us are in the student category. And, and it's a class at school we don't really graduate from. So we just want to learn along the way. And so here's something, hopefully, that will help us, um, help us improve, help us say fewer things that people shouldn't be hearing from us and more beneficial things that they should be. First thing to do is just to reflect on maybe where the text in James finds you, finds me. I was thinking of, uh, of a smog test. Every two years, you've got to get a smog test. In the good old days, you could actually sort of, I think you could game the system. You could buy higher octane gas and things like that. And then you take it in. Maybe they don't hear, you know, they don't find as many bad things. But now that's not the case. Now it, they just, there's a little metric in your engine that records the last typically 200 miles of your driving. And it just dumps out the data into the small guy's machine. And he sees if you've passed or not. It's like you're in or you're not. So what would be the last 200 miles, metaphorically, of conversation in my life? Where did it, when I think about the way I was speaking to people in the course of the last week, where does this text challenge me? Where did I find myself, whether it's the James 3 that we're reading, or was I, was I in a place of slandering somebody? Was I in a place of boasting, thinking I'm living life without God in some way? Where is it? Take, take stock of what that is. If you're stumped, ask people around you. They'll tell you. They should tell you. Uh, so, so just be reflective about it. Then when it comes to improving, most of the things we say, most of the things I say that run afoul of what James is talking about, have a pattern to them. 
There's certain types, you know, certain type, certain times of the day, or certain people with certain uh, ways of of interacting, uh, or particular things on their mind that you know are just harder for me to adjust to. So I need to anticipate that. That's very true uh, for anybody in a regular routine, routine at work or at home or with friends. Anticipate what those challenging conversations may be. Particular family members, certain friends, favorite websites, all these can provoke some kind of unhealthy speech or responses. So then the question then is, how do I act differently, Lord? How can I respond in a way that is going to glorify you, that moves me along in that better in that journey that James is talking about? And then the last thing is just to depend. Depend on God in that moment. From this, this place in your heart to this place in our mouths, just Lord, give me your humility. Give me that shut mouth grace. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this without you. So don't, don't try. Depend on the Lord's vindication. If you're feeling provoked or, um, or just in need of, like, Lord, I really feel I should say something, but I'm going to give it over to you. I'll trust that you would work it out. That's a place of dependence and humility that James talks about. Humble yourselves before the Lord, he says, and he will lift you up. James talks about conflagrations in life that come from the tongue. And we want to make sure that we prevent the damage by looking at what we say. We're not perfect, but we aim to be better. You know, we talked about wildfires in California. Some of you might remember the U.S. Forest Service slogan that says, only you can prevent wildfires. I didn't know this until I looked it up. Uh, th this is almost an 80-year-old public service announcement. I mean, we've been trying to deal with wildfires for quite a while. And Smokey Bear, of course, if you know that image, the bear with the ranger hat on. Um, I think that's an apt slogan for us. Only, but I'll adapt it a little bit. Only we, only you, with Jesus' help, can prevent the wildfires that come from erroneous speech from the tongue that is yet to be fully formed in the Lord. But the great news is that as we turn to him in all matters of have, having him shape what we say, uh, stop us from saying the wrong thing, he will be there if we would give him that opportunity. And even in those times where we have failed, there's an opportunity to ask people for forgiveness to say, okay, I messed up. This would be a good thing to get your team together or get your, you know, with your spouse or with your friends and just say, hey, you know, I'm working on this. You'll find, and I find, that as I do those things, I am in a better place in terms of not letting conflagrations erupt, not letting little brush fires get going. And so only us, only we, with the help of the Lord, can prevent wildfires. May God give us wisdom in the days ahead to learn how we can do that more and more. Amen.